Good morning. The reading is today is taken from Matthew chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 1. Jesus continues teaching. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers were hired about five in the afternoon, came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, as we have sung, we thank you indeed for your word, uh, and that your word still uh, speak to us today. We pray that you open our ears to hear your voice, humble our hearts to receive your word, and move our lives that we may glory in your wondrous generosity to each of us here. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> My voice is um, a little croaky. Well, um, wealth is an elusive thing, isn't it? Uh, past performance does not guarantee future results. The value of your investments can go up and down, so you could get back less than you put in. Well, we often see this uh, disclaimer when we you know, want to buy you know, shares in the stock market, for example. Uh, many people... Uh, buy high, and they sell low, uh, because, uh, you know, we, as naturally, we panic, and so lose uh, money. But investing in the kingdom of heaven uh, by following Jesus, our King, has a guaranteed eternal return, sealed by Jesus' own promise. Uh, that's in previous chapter, chapter 19, that you heard from uh, Tom last week. Uh, Jesus said in chapter, uh, verse 28, Truly I tell you, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses of brothers, wife, children, etc., will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Following Jesus, however, involves giving up our earthly treasures 
like what the 12 apostles had done, becoming last in order to gain eternal life. But if we prefer to be first and keep our earthly treasures, like the rich young man, paradoxically, we will forever lose everything. Well, today's uh, parable is a continuation of this upside-down kingdom concept of first will be last and last will be first. In this parable, Jesus applies this principle to how Christians should view ourselves in his kingdom. What is the basis of my value in relation to others uh, in the church? You see, the world assigns value to a person based on that individual's intrinsic properties, her pedigree and social status, his wealth, like the rich young man, uh, his professional qualifications, perhaps. So the greater the value, the more deserving that person is of higher rewards. After all, winners take it all, and losers have to fall. And that's just the way it is. We would expect those first in the queue to choose first. They deserve those Wimbledon Centre Court tickets. Those working longer hours deserve more pay, commensurate with their hours. That's only fair. So this uh, deserved reward system that we know so well of creates a pay grade, a sliding scale salary uh, that we are so familiar with at work. So it's uh, only natural that Jesus' disciples bring into uh, the kingdom this kind of value system when they follow Jesus. You know, despite having given up their earthly treasures, they nevertheless haven't quite given up their worldly mindset. Uh, For the world, it's uh, first will be first, and last will be last mindset. You know, it's just the reverse of uh, Jesus' kingdom uh, principle. It will become more evident in next week's passage when we'll see the um, uh, apostles, James and John, the Zebedee brothers, uh, with the help of mom, asking to sit at Jesus' right and left in his kingdom. You know, got to reserve those uh, priority seats while you can. If you don't ask, you know, you don't get. So it's so easy for for us to think that somehow uh, Jesus is so lucky to have me in his kingdom with with all my list of qualities. But someone will say, Uh, hold on, I have more on my list uh, than yours. Uh, Should should I not deserve, should I not get more? Should I not deserve more? Uh, The Apostle Peter may may think how favoured he must be because Jesus chooses him first out of the 12 disciples and even calls him rock in chapter 16. And the 12, collectively, may in turn think that they are in a privileged club 
compared to others. So it appears that, you know, with this parable, Jesus is, I think, resetting his disciples' mindset, uh, making it align much more with Jesus' kingdom value. Kingdom rule, after all, applies for those who live and labor for our king in his vineyard. So we see this kingdom principle, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Uh, we see that stated in uh, verse 30 of chapter 19. And in fact, Jesus will repeat it again in verse 16 of, of today's chapter, chapter 20, but only in reverse order. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Do you see that? See, the parable then is sort of sandwiched between these two sayings. Uh, it acts as an illustration of uh, Jesus' kingdom principle. It's not the first time, of course, that we see God operate using this topsy-turvy rule. Uh, we've seen this many times throughout uh, biblical history. He uh, chooses the youngest instead of the privileged firstborn, uh, like Jacob instead of Esau. We heard that in Romans 9, didn't we, a few weeks ago? Or, or David instead of Eliab, his eldest and physically superior brother. And in fact, God chooses the 12 apostles who are really nobodies in the world's eye. They were kind of fishermen and tax collectors instead of the educated experts in the law. So in this parable, we'll see how God employs this upside-down rule to take the attention away from any individual worth gained by you know, our notions of merit or privilege to shine a spotlight onto God's sovereign grace, his great generosity to those who do not deserve it. So let's, uh, friends, now turn to the parable itself. So this parable is an interesting one, isn't it? It's a story of a landowner who owns a vineyard and who looks for workers to work in it. At the end of the day, the landowner distributes his workers' wages. That's the reward. But in a very unconventional way, he uses a criterion based on God's sovereign generosity and not on the workers' own rights, you know, employee rights. Um, and it begins with verse 1 to 7. Here the landowner finds his first group of workers in the early hours of the morning, say 6 a.m. Well, at least a verbal agreement must have been reached for them to work in the vineyard for a fair standard day rate of one denarius. The kind-hearted landowner, however, continues to find more groups of workers 
to hire throughout the day and sends them also to work in his vineyard. And it's repeated a few times, I think, you also go and work in my vineyard. He finds workers at 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. That's the 11th hour. And he promises them a right wage at the end of the working day. Well, notice that none of the workers actually deserves to be in the vineyard at all. It's not theirs. The landlord finds them loitering about the marketplace, doing nothing. Uh, they don't even apply for this job, but they are called out of the landowner's own free will, his uh, sovereign choice. Now, six in the evening comes, and it's pay time. And that's verse 8. And the landowner instructs his foreman to pay the workers their wages. Uh, but this is where Jesus is starting to raise some eyebrows. The wages are distributed in a very unexpected manner, in a wrong way around, so to speak. You know, the last workers, uh, ones chosen at the 11th hour, only worked actually for one hour, are paid first. I guess, presumably, get to get home earlier and be able to join the family for dinner time. Well, the first workers who have worked for 10, 12 hours already have to wait further to be paid last in the queue. It's a very strange uh, sort of payroll practice, isn't it? My friends, the sting of this parable, I think the part that really rubs salt into the wound, is when we discover that the last workers are paid the same amount of money, one denarius, which is one day's wage, the last workers are paid the same amount of money as the first workers. Well, how can that be just? Well, understandably, they grumble at the landowner. Verse 12 says, these who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, how? You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You know, Jesus' original listeners, working outdoors, many of them, I'm sure, as farmers, fishermen, shepherds, they would particularly feel, I guess, the, the, the pinch of this verse because for them, working under the heat of the sun isn't just a story, but a daily reality. You know, the them and the us in verse 12, in the world, shouldn't really be equal. But the landowner has equalized all workers' efforts and sacrifices 
by his one denarius reward for each worker. Well, because of the landowner's decision, he now faces an unresolved dispute with the first workers who charge him with unjust pay. Well, maybe it's time to call the lawyers. Or should the landowner settle out of court, blame some system error, and offer his workers compensation? How, how is the landowner going to resolve this crisis, this accusation against him? Well, friends, the resolution comes at the end of this parable in verses 13 to 16. It's not really a resolution, if you think about it. It's much more a rebuke and a reversal of charge. He's now putting his accusers on trial instead. The landowner takes full control of the situation. He's not allowing his first workers to usurp his authority. He tells them who the boss is and shines the spotlight back on himself once again. And here is the point. God is not unjust. But he chooses to be generous to the least deserving. God is not unjust, but he chooses to be generous to the least deserving. Logically speaking, friends, a sovereign being could choose to be mean. But that's not our God. Our king is a generous king. Out of this world, generous, in fact. He demonstrates his amazing generosity by giving maximum reward to the last and the least deserving of his workers. You know, his gener generosity doesn't just flow like a river. It pours like Niagara Falls. Remarkably, the first workers are so blinded to God's amazing grace that they can only see God's unfairness. Do you see this problem of sin? They zone in on God's unfairness. And if we're honest to ourselves, perhaps that's where our focus is also. It's so unfair. Well, to this charge of unfairness, the landowner replies in verse 13, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Well, God is not unjust. On the contrary, he's kept his promise in full. God's words 
are always trustworthy. The landowner pays them their promised one denarius and even still calls them friend despite their grumbling. You see, the first workers perceive injustice from a me-centered perspective. It's a selfish mindset. It is true that they have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Well, that much is undeniable. But our sovereign God is under no obligation, is he, to offer an explanation to creatures like us why it is that he chooses some to work for 12 hours and during the burden of the work and the heat of the day, while others he chooses to work for only one hour. Those who work for 12 hours are not less valuable than those who only work for one hour. The fact that they feel hard done by and unfairly treated by the landowner is not the landowner's doing. The problem seems to lie in their self-centered mindset in operation. You see, from the landowner's perspective, a God-centered perspective, what he's done is not unjust, but an exercise of his sovereign right, an exercise of his free choice and amazing generosity to the least and the most undeserving of his workers. Look at verses 14 to 15, and notice here the focus on the owner's, the landowner's I. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right? See, this is God's right, yeah? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So really, our focus should really be on God's sovereign grace and not his perceived injustice. God is so good. So with this parable, Jesus shifts the ground of his disciples' mindset from a self-centered to a God-centered one. They don't, you know, God doesn't answer. God doesn't answer to me, but I answer to him. So take your pay and go, verse 14. Don't you love that? I love that. So stop grumbling, Alex. Get on with it. Much to be done in God's vineyard. It's incredibly 
humbling, is it not? You know, in this parable, we hear so much grumbling from the first workers. They hijacked the story. But Jesus switches the focus to the last and the least of these workers. Uh, and you can see that in verse 16, because Jesus reverses that principle around. The last will be first, and the first will be last. So the primacy of the last is highlighted here, giving that emphasis on how good God is. Come and see what he's done. Grumbling is discontentment. And discontentment arises out of envy, jealousy of what others have. And that's the sin that the first workers display. Ultimately, it is an assault on God's sovereign grace. See, envy not only accuses God falsely, but also blinds me to God's remarkable generosity. So friends, as we come towards the end, let's, let's consider three possible implications of this parable. First, repent. Two, relate. And three, rejoice. Well, first, repent. Well, let's repent of our sinful tendency towards self-centeredness. You know, my heart is so quick to judge God of wrongdoing, and in this case, injustice. It is as if we don't trust that God will always do what is right and just. This self-centered, self-righteousness also blinds us ultimately to God's amazing generosity to us, that He is so good to us. In the final analysis, all of us, all of us are undeserving, like those last and least of the workers. None of us deserve to be in God's kingdom, but for God's grace. So let's uh, pray for each other so that our hearts may not be resentful. Let's pray that God's Spirit will renew our minds and make them more Christ-centered. After all, God's kingdom is all about God's sovereign and gracious King. And let's pray that when any of us stumble, that His grace restores us. Well, secondly, relate. Relate with grace towards one another. Display that amazing outpouring of God's undeserved generosity to one another. 
you know, this doesn't come easy. Even the 12 disciples find this difficult. And I think that's why Jesus tells them this parable at this point in Matthew's gospel. And the history of the church since has shown that we've not truly grasped grace either. You know, our indebtedness, the indebtedness that we owe to God for his sovereign grace towards us. See, in God's kingdom, the first is to be last. Giving up what we have without grumbling, enduring the burden of the work, the heat of the day, for the sake of others whom Christ loves. Friends, it's easy to import performance-based culture into the church climbing over each other to get that favoured number one spot. We favour those perhaps with stage charisma and charm. We like to be dazzled and entertained by professionals. Do we believe that we are of greater value than others in the kingdom? Well, watch out, because God loves to upend human expectations, privileges, and pride so that his generosity triumphs in the end. But it is perhaps equally easy also to feel worthless in the church. We constantly compare ourselves to others and believe that we will never measure up. Well, if that's any of us, we should wake up, isn't it, to our new status in the kingdom. Amazingly loved and blessed, heirs of eternal life, of equal value to anyone else in the church. Remember that the last will be first. His grace is the one that empowers, his grace motivates, his grace restores. God delights to fill those that come to him empty-handed. And in this way, he will silence the proud and the self-righteous. So whether we've been Christians for 10 years or 10 days, whether we become Christians gradually you know, in a Christian home over years, or through impressive, sudden conversions that we've heard stories about. Whether, like the apostles and many church, early church fathers who suffered a great deal, suffered persecution compared to other Christians living in a different era or in safer countries. Whether we are Jewish, you know, a natural branch like Romans 11, or a latecomer Gentile, a wild olive shoot. Whether we serve God full-time in Christian ministry or as missionary overseas, or working as a full-time businessman or um, Christian politician, 
or doctors or lawyers, or a full-time stay-at-home parent. We are God's fellow workers, not competitors. There's nothing of us intrinsically that makes us more deserving of eternal life than another brother or sister in the kingdom. Our value is based entirely upon God's sovereign choice, his free sovereign choice and amazing generosity towards us. Lastly, therefore, friends, rejoice. What else can we say? But to marvel, is it not, to worship and to follow Jesus, our King, with all our hearts, minds, and souls. To imitate his supreme display of God's sovereign generosity in his willingness to make himself last through his sacrifice on the cross without grumbling. His dying and rising are channels of God's grace to us all, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Well, but that's perhaps for another week. So why don't we uh, close now in, in prayer. <clears throat> I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Oh Lord Jesus, you are such a good and gracious king. We thank you for your amazing generosity towards sinful, self-centered sinners like us. We are often blinded by our own self-righteousness. We can only thank you and, and marvel at your grace. We don't understand why you should be so good to us. It is a mystery, but it is a wonderful one. So help us, Lord, to uh, live out this gospel in our lives and through our relating with one another with grace, that the world may know and witness that you are our gracious King and that you live among your people. Amen. <clears throat>